Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week, well, actually it's all news from the United States this week. Uh, enough shit has gone wrong in the U.S. that that's what we're talking about. First, talking about the series of uh, culture war bills that have been passed in Republican-controlled states recently. Uh, these are everything from Florida's uh, don't say gay bill. Uh, this is a bill that makes it a, a crime or not allowed to discuss gender politics essentially in all Florida public schools. Uh, Idaho is proposing a bill uh, that would make uh, criminal charges uh, for people who provide gender affirming care uh, to youth. Missouri is also considering a law making it a crime uh, to leave the state in order to get an abortion if that abortion is illegal to conduct in the state of Missouri. These are understood by some as battles in the culture war, that is, the conflict over uh, human and interpersonal questions that engages the right wing and the left. However, I think it's probably most helpful to think about them as the right wing uh, bearing its face, its, its misogynistic politics. The right wing is just inherently misogynistic. It opposes abortion access. It imposes uh, women's health and the right wing is also anti-queer, just in a general blanket sort of way. This is uh, particularly interesting as a historian of the right. Um, back in, well, not even so long ago, five or six years ago, when the alt-right was becoming a real political formation, it was astonishingly queer-friendly. You know, one of its leading figures at the time was Milo Yiannopoulos, who at the time was very openly gay. Uh, and made jokes about that and was fully accepted in that community, at least uh, outwardly facingly. Uh, you know, we don't know what they were saying behind closed doors. Now, Yiannopoulos claims that he has been, quote, cured of his homosexuality, and the extreme fringes of the right wing in the United States are coming back into the mainline rights opposition to um, gender freedom and to women's rights. Further in the United States, the claims of the death of the trucker convoy were unfortunately greatly exaggerated. Uh, they are, in fact, now in D.C., uh, despite a failure to actually travel across the country, as had originally been planned. They have had rallies in the D.C. area, you know, that are sort of like a country fair, except without the, the animals and stuff. Um, there's music and speakers and food. Uh, they've also been driving around and disrupting roads, uh, but there's been no major encirclement of the Capitol buildings as there was back in Ottawa earlier. Uh, this represents something of a failure for them, although they have been trying to spin it as them trying to stay strategic, you know, that, that they don't want to get disrupted. The leaders of these protests, however, have been getting meetings with some members of Congress, including Ted Cruz. The rest of the stories that I'm talking about today have to do with the attempted coup on January 6th in 2021. The first is that the former leader of the Proud Boys, Henry Enrique Terrio, uh, his legal name is Henry, he and several others in his Proud Boys branch, uh, which is in Orlando, Florida, have now been indicted on several charges. Uh, among them are conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, that is the counting of the Electoral College votes on January 6th that would formally inaugurate Biden as the president of the United States. Obstruction of an official proceeding, that's the same thing. Assaulting officers and destroying government property. Now, the interesting thing here is that Tario himself was not 
there that day. He did not participate in the coup physically. This is because he had been arrested for burning a Black Lives Matter flag uh, that was flying outside of a church in Washington, D.C. earlier that week on January 4th. As part of his plea bargain with D.C. Metro Police, he was not present in Washington, D.C. on that date. You know, he was he was required to leave the district. Specifically, though, what Tario is being charged with is conspiracy, right? He's being charged with planning this coup. As the former national chairman of the Proud Boys, um, he was obviously involved in the planning of the Proud Boys' national involvement in the coup. Specifically, specifically, though, uh, his indictment says that he created a sub-organization of the Proud Boys, a sort of like uh, even more directly paramilitary wing of it, uh, which they called the Ministry of Self-Defense. This organization within the Proud Boys conspired to disrupt the January 6th uh, inauguration count back in December of 2020. And that is what Tario and his co-conspirators are being charged with. Now, Tario himself has a history of working with the feds on stuff like this. Um, In extreme right-wing circles, he has developed a reputation for being a snitch in this capacity, because apparently he has actually testified to several government officers uh, and other law enforcement personnel regarding his involvement in the Proud Boys and other right-wing activities. So it'll be interesting to see him actually go to trial for this, considering that it's relatively likely that he will, unless, of course, he pleads guilty. If he did that, he would have a, a lot of company. Many of the people who have been brought up on charges for their involvement in January 6th have pled guilty. In fact, the only person who has actually gone to trial so far for their involvement in the attempted coup, uh, his trial ended this week. Uh, His name is Guy Rafit. He was a member of the Three Percenters back in Texas, uh, which is his home state. Three Percenters are one of the other leading fascist paramilitary organizations in the United States, along with the Proud Boys. They tend to be a little older, you know, think former cops, folks like that, as opposed to the Proud Boys, who represent a sort of more youthful, fascistic energy in the extreme right-wing circles. Guy Rafit um, went to trial for his uh, involvement in the coup and was found guilty on all charges. Specifically, his real big crime uh, is that he brought a semi-automatic pistol to the Capitol, which is a crime in and of itself, whether or not you are participating in a coup. And again, remember uh, the the legal language for participated in a coup that the government is using is a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding or obstruction of an official proceeding. So Rafit was found guilty essentially of these same things that Tario had just been charged with, and he faces a maximum of 60 years for it all. The other interesting wrinkle here is that Rafit was referred by um, his son. Uh, His son was the person who actually secretly recorded Rafit admitting that he had brought a pistol to the Capitol and turned his father in to the police because he thought that his father was fascist who tried to stage a violent coup in the United States. In return for turning him in, Rafit um, threatened his son with his life. He said that um, if you turn me in, you're a traitor and traitors get shot. Moving on from these two who have been formally indicted for their crimes on January 6th, we go to Donald Trump. 
who, according to the January 6th Special Investigation Committee in the United States House of Representatives, could face criminal prosecution for his crimes related to the attempted coup. Uh, if you are wondering what uh, he could potentially be charged with, I would refer you to the previous sections of this podcast. Essentially, he is potentially facing the same charge, according to the coup, uh, that is uh, a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress and obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress. This is the first time that the federal government has claimed that the president violated federal law during his attempted coup. Uh, all of this is related to testimony from or around uh, a man named Eastman, who is a former lawyer of Donald Trump and was part of the legal war room that planned the coup and talked about how it might be conducted on a legal basis. Key to their claim also is that Trump knew that he had lost, right? You know, that his claim about the election being stolen from him was a fraud uh, and that he was intentionally defrauding the people of the United States to try to obstruct the natural transition of government. Uh, this is an important thing for them because, you know, if their claim was instead that, like, he did actually believe that he had lost, like if it was an earnest belief, then some of his actions would be different. You know, they, they, they wouldn't be obstruction. They would just be like what this person believed. But instead, their claim is that he knew he had lost. He knew that he had legally lost and he engaged in illegal activities in an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding with Congress to prevent the counting of the Electoral College votes. Now, Trump has not been brought up on these charges and we don't know uh, how long it'll be until he is, or really honestly, if he will. Uh, that remains to be seen. However, in the statement from the January 6th panel that, that released all of this, um, they suggested that it's even possible that they're going to go a step further, and that they might claim that Trump was involved in a conspiracy, a conspiracy to stage the coup. Uh, that would be a big deal. That would be the thing. That's like the trial of the century. That would be the federal government indicting, charging, and like trying to put a former president in prison for his attempt to stage a coup in order to stay the president. Um, that would be, I don't know, the biggest news story that I've heard of in U.S. politics for, God, I don't, I don't know how long, like the Civil War. I mean, Jesus, it's crazy. Now, again, Trump has not been brought up on these charges and there is no clear indication about a timeline for that happening. There is still the possibility that if, for example, the Democrats lose the United States House in this November's election, that all of this will come to a grinding halt, at least until or unless the Democrats get back in control of the House or some other part of the government takes up the lead, like, for example, the Department of Justice. But the fact that this is being discussed, the fact that they've put out this trial balloon saying that, like, hey, we think that the president might have staged a coup, but like legally, like like as in he might need to face legal consequences for it. Uh, the fact that they're saying that is a really big deal. And unfortunately, uh, I think that it's getting lost in the fact that this is a years-long legal procedure. People might have forgotten by the time that Trump could potentially face justice and they might not care anymore. So uh, as a historian, at least I am pleading with you, uh, it's important that the president tried to stage a coup. And it's important that the uh, rest of the federal government is, is saying like, hey, yeah, the president tries to stage a coup. Um, that's a big deal. Finally, going to close this episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. 
Except this week, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, I am not talking about a dead right-wing figure. I'm talking about a live one. Uh, this guy's name is Richard Williamson. He is a Catholic priest. That's kind of complicated. Uh, he was born on March 8th, 1940 in the United Kingdom. Now, the reason that his, uh, his position as a Catholic priest and specifically a bishop is complicated is that Williamson is a traditionalist Catholic. Uh, which means that he opposes even moderate church liberalization. And I don't mean like church liberalization, like not hating homosexuals uh, or allowing abortion or divorce or something. I mean like the liberalization he opposes is like that the church no longer speaks Latin all the time uh, or that priests face the congregation when they're giving mass. Uh, he opposes liberalization that happened some several decades ago back during the Second Vatican Council. Uh, he was consecrated as a traditionalist bishop by another dissenting priest, uh, a bishop named Marcel Lefebvre, uh, as part of the Society of St. Pius X, which is a traditionalist Catholic organization which claims essentially that all of the popes that uh, have existed after Pius X, who was pope back in the 19th century, uh, were frauds and are not legitimate Catholic popes um, because of various arguments about theology and canon law and stuff. Uh, so the Society of St. Pius X is a dissenting traditionalist organization that has this troubled relationship with the church. Uh, Lefebvre and the uh, society have been in and out of excommunication for some time now. Lefebvre himself is dead. Um, and uh, this meant that, you know, they've gone back and forth uh, with being in communion with the Catholic Church or not. Um this meant that Williamson himself had this complicated relationship with the church going back and forth in communion or not. Currently, the Society of St. Pius X is itself in communion with the Catholic Church, but Williamson is not. And that is because uh, he, in addition to being a recalcitrant traditionalist Catholic, which is generally associated with right-wing political views, uh, he is, yeah, he's got a lot of terrible right-wing political views. Specifically, he is a famous Holocaust denier. Uh, he has actually been charged criminally with Holocaust denial in Germany, where, where that's a, a crime that you, you can be tried for denying the Holocaust. Um, he has been tried. He has been convicted. Uh, in addition to this, he engages in a lot of other shitty conspiracy theories, uh, all of them from the extreme right wing. And as a result of this, uh, he was expelled from the Society of St. Pius X. However, that was not enough to get him excommunicated uh, for a second time from the Catholic Church. Uh, instead, he was excommunicated for a second time from the Catholic Church for consecrating some extra bishops, uh, which he was not allowed to do. So, you know, the Holocaust denial, that wasn't enough. Uh, but consecrating some more bishops, that definitely was. So, I'm Richard Williamson, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please uh, share this with friends, family, and comrades. Leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Share it on social media. Tell people about it. Uh, that's, you know, how people learn about podcasts that they want to listen to. If you really like the podcast, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also how you can get in touch with me at Gmail. I'm 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right uh, or fascism 15. All right. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week.